Hello and welcome back to Pharmacist Diaries, the podcast that reveals the secret lives of pharmacists from where their journeys began, where they are now and everything in between. I am your host Anisha Patel and on today's episode I had a fantastic conversation with Claire May. Claire has been working as a pharmacist for over 20 years and has a broad range of experience in academia, retail pharmacy and primary care. She is passionate about supporting the development of undergraduate pharmacy students as well as the role of pharmacists in sports. We share our personal stories of working as pharmacists in a sports environment. Claire has been a consultant pharmacist for the PGA European Tour for eight years and she has worked in the Athletes' Village at the London 2012 Olympics and Paralympics, which she describes as a phenomenal experience and one of the highlights of her career. Her passion about being a sports pharmacist is evident during this episode. In 2020, she was awarded an International Olympic Committee Certificate in Drugs and Sport. If you are interested in sports pharmacy, make sure to follow the International Sports Pharmacist Network on LinkedIn and the Sports Pharmacist YouTube channel. You'll also find an interview on YouTube with Claire discussing her experience to date. All the links will be in the show notes. I also wanted to remind you guys that I now have my own YouTube channel. The podcast is available as the normal audio but also as video format on YouTube. Please check the link in the show notes and like and subscribe to the channel. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. The journey in pharmacy is lifelong learning. So we never stop learning until, I don't even think pharmacists stop learning even when they retire because um, I'm part of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society um, local RPSs. I'm part of our local RPS in Sussex, which I'm the chair of, we have links to the retired pharmacist group. And those guys are really quite active. So, you know, they're a really good resource to tap into. So it really is about that lifelong learning and utilizing the skills and knowledge of, you know, those that have gone before, but also really harnessing some of the great ideas and inspiration that you get from younger or earlier career pharmacists. So I think, you know, we are lucky in that, that we have this lifelong learning journey where we can really kind of share those um, experiences. Yeah, definitely. And it's also good, like I like to um, have the junior pharmacists, you know, the trainee pharmacists on the podcast as well. Um, They're a great inspiration to students and to be honest they sometimes can be a really great inspiration to myself like the recent episode that I had with Charlotte Fraser. Um, She's an ex-KCL student, um, went through quite a difficult time with some mental health issues and has kind of overcome that part of her life and and you know stepped into her role as a trainee pharmacist and she's really loving it and turned herself around um and it's just been really enjoyable to kind of have that conversation with her as to where she started and where she is today and it was really it was genuinely truly inspiring to to hear her journey and 
Um, a lot of people have fed back to me about that episode and just they resonated with it. They really enjoyed the content. And so it's good to get that um, feedback from people who are listening in. Actually, you know what? The podcast is is making a difference to people and getting people thinking. Um, and and I really like that. It's it's enjoyable to be part of that journey for us and to showcase what we do as pharmacists. We don't do that enough and we need to do more of it. Um, so I'm kind of pleased that the podcast is a platform that allows me to do that, which is great. Um, but you know, welcome to the um, podcast and welcome to Pharmacist Diaries though. Anyways, I, I didn't say that already and thanks for making time for, ne- for me tonight. No problem, Nisha. I'm really pleased that you reached out. Um, I've seen lots of stuff that you've been doing on LinkedIn, so it's clear that you're passionate about pharmacy. And I think those people who are passionate about pharmacy, we seem to kind of attract each other and, you know, want to think of ways to reach out to other pharmacists. And and I suppose, you know, that sharing of your experience and how you've got to where you're at, uh, that's invaluable even if it's just to tell people what pitfalls to try and avoid, you know, because it's not a smooth journey from A to B. You know, I think we'll all as pharmacists have had blips in our um, careers, whether it's unsure of where to go next, Mm. possibly mental health issues. I have noted that um, other issues that pharmacists are experiencing seem to be coming out a lot more around maybe even substance misuse Mm. issues which you know it's great to not have a stigma around mental health substance misuse issues or anything that people are experiencing that are causing challenges with their career and that they know that there are people there and I think that would be one of the big messages I would want to say to every pharmacist you know near enough no matter what you're going through there will always be someone out there that will listen whether that's through pharmacist support whether that's even maybe going back to some of your mentors at uni so you know you've talked about some of your students and watching them grow you know I just recently had a student reach out to me who I haven't seen in five years and course I'm going to make time for them because you know you always are looking and hoping to support the people going forward so I think that's a really key message to get across that you know reach out and there'll be someone who'll pick up on that and will be there for listening may not be able to resolve the issue but hopefully should be able to signpost you in a way that will enable you to get the help or support that you need or just the answers you know that are probably within yeah no and quite a lot of pharmacists that I've interviewed have kind of sung from the same song sheet you know they're on the same page in terms of supporting other pharmacists other students they want to be helpful they want to see other pharmacists grow and and this came up in the last episode it came up with Charlotte um and we talk about mentorship quite a lot and I think it's it's very valuable and I try and remind our students that actually find someone who can mentor you and that you get along with who can teach you who can guide you you can go to with questions you you know who you can go to for support including myself you know don't feel that I'm someone that you don't really know that's on this virtual platform. Like I am a a real person, a real pharmacist, and I always answer my messages, emails, um, I'm always willing to help. So it's definitely a good kind of comment that you've come up with because it's really important to, to let people know that we are available. 
Um, and, you know, I don't even have, I feel like I'm still relatively newly qualified. I've been qualified for 10 years. It's really not a long time. There's so much that I still want to learn about, you know, so many different experiences that I want to kind of get involved with. I mean, I've just told you that I'm actually going to start locuming in community pharmacy <laughs> simply because I want to see the other side and yeah. how it can impact my hospital job. Like it's really important to me that I do my best for my patients. And at the moment I'm seeing that personally there is a slight divide between what happens in secondary care and how it transitions to primary care in palliative care. You know, it's it's a very niche area, especially in pediatrics. Um, you know, it makes people uncomfortable just looking at a symptom management plan. And I'm just thinking, well, going forward, how can I support the community and the network that, you know, look after my patients as well? Because it's not just about me and my consultants and my nurses. It's about the GPs. It's about the community pharmacists. It's about the nurses that go home and see the patients yeah. for home visits. And, you know, they identify a lot in terms of symptom management and supporting um, these patients, especially when we put them on so many specials and unlicensed products. We kind of have to think outside the box. And there are a lot of supply issues these days, way more than I've ever experienced. And kind of, you know, thinking about that is really valuable and important in terms of formulary management and making sure we've got enough supply um, for our patients. So, I'm hoping that experience, and I probably will talk about it a lot on the podcast as, you know, my first shift comes around in the next couple of weeks, because um, I haven't stepped into a community pharmacy for a long time. And I want to see what those issues are. I want to be able to actually experience their point of view um, in order to support them going forward. Yeah, and look for the positives as well, because so much happens within the community pharmacy that's actually really positive. And mm. I think, you know, um, something that I've probably experienced in the last maybe uh, three to four years is trying to have a uh, shift in my mindset and trying to look for what is what are the positives you know what can we do so that we as opposed to um, berate people over things that go wrong look really at what's going right and what can we learn from maybe the things that haven't quite gone as well as we expected because we're all human we will all unfortunately make errors um, and that's not to say that errors are okay it's to say that if an error occurs that we need to learn from it we really need to take something away from it and um, you know I think my experience of academia, so my background being I started in community. I've actually, I'll be on the register 20 years um, next year. So that for me feels really crazy. And bizarrely, I resonate when you say uh, you feel really young within your career. I actually still feel very young and new within my career because I'm constantly trying to learn. But I've started in community moved into primary care and worked as a prescribing advisor for oh, about seven years and then moved into academia uh, around 2010-2011. Um, and what I've noticed over the last 10 years, over the last decade in, in academia, is that students worry about getting things wrong. They come in and I think they feel that the expectation is that they should get everything right. And actually, 
some of the times within pharmacy, there isn't necessarily one right answer. And it's about exploring how do you arrive at the outcome or the decision for that one patient and making sure that you have very clear steps that have got you there. And so um, with the change to the initial education and training standards for pharmacists, for um, undergraduates, I think that it's really good because we're starting to think about, well, prescribing on first day of registration, you know, what does that mean? What will that look like? And we're embedding these uh, skills and capabilities that students can um, understand clinical reasoning, that you can really verbalise why you've come to the decision that you've come to, and hopefully be able to challenge others that have come to a slightly different mm. decision so that you can really learn from each other. So that, again, embedding that mentorship and that peer support, well, you know, how did you come to that decision? Um, what did you think about this? And and that kind of challenging. Um, I spoke to a, not a pharmacist, but a, another healthcare professional the other day. And um, one of the thoughts that they were talking about was uh, around, uh, explore challenge and engage and all of those things you know to explore what it is that you're thinking challenge people and engaging with people I think it's just really important around networking yeah no I couldn't agree with you more and with going back to the topic with students you're right that sometimes it's valuable to maybe be in a smaller kind of group setting or a workshop where you can really understand people's thought processes in detail compared to, a, you know, a big lecture theater or being on teams and having to teach where you can't necessarily, I mean, you of course you can communicate with the students, but then they don't always speak up as openly in front of a hundred plus students. But when you're in these smaller groups, I find that it's really easy for them to engage with you and get that kind of reasoning and understanding as to why they made certain decisions and also getting someone else's opinion well you know actually I would have done it this way and this is the reason why and that's a really good and valuable learning experience for them because they need to understand that everything is not black and white and there is no complete right and complete wrong answer in all situations that there is an element of gray like as a resident pharmacist, um, you know, when you're on call and you're answering inquiries, um, you know, the, the person who might be on the next shift may not answer the same question in the same way that you did. The advice that you provided or the decision in terms of, yes, you can have it, no, you can't, is not going to be as easy and as simple in terms of, yes, this is the right answer. I've looked it up in this resource, that resource, and you know, Stockley's BNFC and, you know, IV compatibility guide, and this is a black and white answer. But actually, you have to take in, take into consideration the patient as well, because actually, that's going to throw up some different, you know, curveballs into your answer. And when it comes to students, I think we need to make that awareness more clear so that they don't feel like they're always getting things wrong. And they're not always in a situation where it's a black and white um, and they need to be outside of their comfort zone to some extent and understand that it's okay to make a decision differently than your friend 
or you, you know or your colleague yeah as long as you have the good rationale how did you arrive at that because your experience will influence your outcome because Definitely. professional judgment is is made up of so many different things including your knowledge base your experience even your own morals and ethics um and I don't know about yourself, but I actually love challenging moral and ethics in a student environment because it's really an interesting arena to start understanding um, how students um, respond to specific issues where maybe the legislation is complete opposition to the ethical dilemma that's in front mm. of you and how do you weigh that up and make sure that you're making and you've said it before that patient-centered decision you know putting the patient first and yeah. I'm not saying you know putting the patient first and forgetting about everything else because that doesn't work either you know we still need to have these you know what's the law what's the what are the ethical situ or dilemmas that we might need to consider and what's my own knowledge base like and sometimes the answer is refer on agreed agreed you might not know and ethical dilemmas are really interesting and useful uh, for students as well. Everyone comes from different cultures, different beliefs, different upbringings, and the way that they would answer that question will be very different to someone else. So, of course, you need to take into the consideration the legal aspects and obviously do right from wrong. Um, but there's definitely going to be a lot of gray in that area because the patient then comes into it and switches your perspective. Yeah. And the greatest thing about being a pharmacist and working either in a community pharmacy or a hospital, any clinical environment, is that you've got other people around you to support you. So if you're ever stuck in these situations, you've got other people around you to help you to make those decisions. So you never really ever feel alone. I um, know. Yeah. I mean, even on call, you're alone, but you have a backup. We always have a backup. <laughs> um, you know, there's always someone there to kind of reassure you and guide you along the way. And I think that's a really important bit because you might be standing in that community pharmacy on your own with your support staff. And we cannot forget about our support staff, you know, exactly. whether whatever sector you're in, they really are the backbone of everything that happens within the pharmacy. Um, and certainly I think they're such a... a, a an underutilized resource at times, you know, um, and it's great to see that the standards for pharmacy technicians have been updated as well to try and ensure that we have um, technicians being utilized in the in the best way. But if you're in that community pharmacy on your own with your support staff, there are still ways of accessing professional support. You know, you can always say to the patient, I need some time, you know, you might have to go away and come back because actually this particular situation or this particular prescription requires more input or requires me to, to, to phone someone, you know. So I think that's important and I think, you know, we might in community pharmacy feel like we're on our own, but actually I think you're right. There's a great network of people out there that are willing and able to help. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
I guess from a hospital perspective, you always got lots of people around. You know, you've always got a big network. I mean, at the Evelina, there's, you know, 40 odd staff, lots of senior pharmacists with way more experience in pediatrics than I have. So I'm always feel quite safe. I always feel like I can have someone to turn to if I've got a question. Um, and community pharmacy is slightly different. Are there online networks? Because things like the um, MPPG, which is the Neonatal and Pediatric Pharmacist Group, or even UKCPA, you know, you can um, document queries on the online forums. So you can say that actually I've been in this situation. Can anyone support with any advice? Now, it might not be a lot of people may put supply issue questions on there or what are you using now that clonidine liquids out of stock or how do you transition to patches, you know? Um, so those kind of clinical related questions come up, but I'm sure ethical dilemmas also come up in these situations as well. What do community pharmacists or is there anything that community pharmacists can use from that perspective? Well, there are actually, um, and I'm glad you brought it up because it's certainly one of the things that the RPS locals have tried to, I suppose, um, manage for a number of years. There are always challenges around communication. So one of the, the difficulties with the RPS locals was how did, how would we communicate with all of our membership? Okay. So, that's been a challenge but as we move forward RPS are actually going to be launching a new digital platform called RPS Connect and that will be yeah it's going to be new fandangled interesting digital platform which I'm sure um your podcast and things would be able to go on to so another outlet (laughs) although it sounds like you've got lots of those already um it is a member benefit, so of course that's something that you need to be aware of. So one of the benefits of being part of your professional um, group. Um, there hasn't been a specific launch date as yet, but that will provide that kind of um, functionality that you say, you know, posting things around what do you do if. Okay. What you'll also find is a lot of the companies whether the the large multiples or the um the smaller groups and i would imagine also even independent groups will have um, mechanisms to communicate within the organization and then you've got of course your lpc so your local pharmaceutical committee so if you haven't already reached out to those in your local pharmaceutical committee I would highly recommend it because they're a great source of information um, and able to really provide you with some guidance if need be. Also, if you're an MPA member, then that could be another outlet. So, you know, and again, um, the RPS have a professional support. So, you know, if you don't want to post it on a forum, they also have a a phone number for professional support. So, yeah, they are out there. Um, I'd love to know the proportion of community pharmacists that know of all of the various different um, support that's available, but um, certainly there is a lot out there. Yeah, I mean, you've listed several there. So there's there's multiple functions. And of course, once you work in a community pharmacy, especially if you're in the same location permanently, you develop really good relationships with your GPs. So they're... I'm sure they would be really helpful if you called them up and said, actually, this isn't exactly, you know, 
a prescription issue, as we would normally call you for, or a supply issue. Um, but this is a dilemma with one of your patients, and I really need some support and someone to actually talk to and maybe run through the issue. And maybe you can guide me and reassure me that I'm making the right decision. Well, I would say that might happen in some areas. I think it's more likely that you would contact your PCN pharmacist, so your primary yeah, care true. network pharmacist. Um, again, you know, there, there's benefits of interprofessional communication, but on those kind of things, I would say you would want to maybe go to your PCN pharmacist. Everyone should know who their PCN pharmacist is. Uh, if not, again, you know, there are networks in which to um, find that out. So you might contact your local CCG, so your clinical commissioning group, or again, your LPC reps would be able to help you with that as well. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. And it's a unique conversation, actually, because I haven't really discussed this topic before. And it's making me start to think, well, what's going to happen when I'm on my shifts? <laughs> Who am I going to call? Well, don't you think that's the most interesting thing is actually what's happening in your own life will actually maybe lead what you're what you're talking about because yeah. you're probably thinking about it and thinking all right so you know eight years it is a different environment now we've got a lot of um new services that are up and running so I would definitely reach out to any new area that you might be going to mm. find out what the commission services are so what are the enhanced services do I need any accreditation that enables me to provide that service what about the advanced services so um I mentioned um in discussion earlier with you when we talked about the CPCS so the the community pharmacy consultation service you have to make a declaration um on CPPE um and so there are there are various different things you know we, that you need to be aware of that you know I think gone are the days that you qualify from a from a university you undertake your what was your pre-reg year now your foundation year and you register and basically you've got all the tools in your kit mm. you know not There's so much additional yeah. learning so oh. much additional learning it's, it's a constant <laughs> lifelong learning and actually I used yesterday to um complete some of my outstanding training that I need to deliver some of the services within um, community pharmacy. So with the PQS, Pharmacy Quality Scheme, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. No, I'm not. Um, there's um, new services again, so stuff around um, identifying hypertension cases. So really great stuff clinical you know getting community pharmacists as being that that point of contact for the population not just for maybe your minor ailments but starting to think about how do we also manage some chronic ailments um, and identify some chronic ailments so um, as of the 1st of October of this year there's the new hypertension case management um service again there there's some training that needs to happen around that so you know there's a lot going on 
a lot for community pharmacy to know um, and anyone who is thinking about doing part-time work within community pharmacy make sure you're up to date with it because there's nothing mm. worse than arriving at a at a pharmacy and knowing that they are the sole provider of emergency contraception within the area and you have uh, a queue of people waiting to receive you know free of charge oral con- oh, well could be oral contraception or uh, oral emergency hormonal contraception so you know um yeah i think it's really important that people are preparing yeah, definitely. And the closer I am to coming to this shift, I mean, I'm, I've am i been quite lucky, I guess, that the pharmacy who, who I'm going to locum with, they have multiple pharmacists kind of working on a day-to-day. Um, and they've reassured me that there'll be plenty of support on my first yeah. few shifts. And I've made it very clear that I'm. it's been a while, um, but I'm really excited. I'm like, I'm ready to learn and I want to do the enhanced services and I'm you know, I want to get the accreditation that's necessary to get me there. Um, and, you know, they've been really supportive in terms of understanding what my needs are uh, so that I can do a good job when I, I get to that point where I'm actually working on my own. But to begin with, I know even on the weekends, they have a couple of pharmacists at least plus techs. So you've got plenty of support in the pharmacy, um, which is really, really good. And it's better for me to try locuming in that environment than it is to go to a pharmacy where I am as you know a, a lone worker where there is limited support just in case I'm not really sure what to do in the situation I'm put in because you never know what might walk through that door and like you said there is a lot of pressure in community pharmacy that is very different to the hospital I think because I'm very comfortable in the hospital, it doesn't feel like pressure. It's just normal day to day and you feel very comfortable in that environment. Even when there is a queue of, you know, 10 parents with children there, I'm completely fine with that. I can deal with, you know, parents getting upset and angry and still managing to get through the workload without feeling any stress because I'm just used to it. I know how to manage it. I know how to handle it. I know how to communicate. But in a community pharmacy, I think expectations are very, very different. When you walk into a high street pharmacy and you do have that queue of people, the pressure is going to feel quite scary for me because it's completely out of my comfort zone. But I'm looking forward to being out of my comfort zone because that in itself is a really good learning experience. Um, And keeping in touch, and I did say this to them when I asked to locum, is that you know, I'm working in a university, I'm lecturing pharmacy students, majority of those students are going into community pharmacy, they'll be going into placements, they'll be going into their training years. And I just want to see from that perspective, as well as from my pediatric palliative care work, um, what it's really like, and really truly understanding the environment. Um, Because it makes it really, you know, it's vital that I get that so that I can be a better educator. And I really can experience what they go through. Um, and how that would impact a student on a placement or what we can teach them in terms of pharmacy. So, yeah, I'm really, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. You just made me think of one thing. Because you are experienced, you've obviously made sure that you're going into somewhere where you're being supported. Mm. And I think that shows the thought process of an experienced pharmacist. And so any newly 
qualified or early career pharmacists, I would make a real plea to you to, if you are thinking about changing your sector or trying something new, do everything that you've done, Mm. which is to really hammer home the support that you need, but also understanding the needs of the business that you're going into. Because, you know, I think we have to be clear Community pharmacy is a business. Hospital pharmacy is a business. Primary care pharmacy is a business because, you know, it all has budgets and work payments that that align to it. So, you know, we we can't avoid that. Yes, patients are at the forefront, but, you know, you can't serve your patients if you're not making money either. So, you know, that we have to acknowledge that. So I think it's important, as you have said, that whatever you do, transitioning, and it's about that transitioning into a different sector, that you're prepared. Um, and I don't know if you've seen, but HEE, so Health Education England, um, a great pharmacist called Shabina, she has put together a pharmacy careers map. I know, I've seen it and it looks so exciting. (laughs) It's brilliant. It's really, really good. And actually, one of the sections within that talks about transitioning. So go out and have a look. I'm sure we can put a link to that um, in the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Um, Just to give you a bit of an idea of maybe the things you need to think about, you know, so great for people to work in a portfolio way across different sectors because it does enable you to understand the challenges or the real positives and the real gains that your colleagues get from working in a different sector. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm loving this conversation. I knew it was going to be a good night, Claire. Um, But I'm taking things away from you. Um, So let me get back to, um, you know, your career. You've been working in the university setting for at least a decade now. Has it become around a decade? Um, what were your initial, I guess, perceptions of your role within a university when you first initially joined? Because it was only a few years after you had qualified that you became a lecturer. Yeah. It's interesting. I try to think back around, did I have a a career pathway in mind did did I have things that I wanted to achieve and I think the kind of answer is no I Mm. I I knew I loved university I was really lucky I went to the University of Brighton Uh, that's where I ended up actually having my first academic job I I loved university because it just enabled me to meet lots of different people. Um, and I kind of grabbed as many opportunities as possible with both hands. And I, and for me, what I've noticed is that pharmacy has opened a lot of doors. And it sounds like you're probably quite similar, that you've, you've gained lots of really great opportunities because you've studied pharmacy. Yeah, and, definitely, 100%. And, and, and that's what I like to try and... Uh, remind people that the opportunities don't necessarily come to you you do have to look for them but they really are there you know there there's so much scope and the role of the pharmacist you know when I start to think about things the role of the pharmacist is in 
near enough everything that we do. So um, when I left school, I went to Israel and I worked in a hospice and I worked as um, a care assistant. Um, it really enabled me to, to um, gain a lot of good communication skills, a lot of empathy because we were caring for patients who were, were dying, dying. So I have a, an experience of palliative care, but I was very young at the time. I wasn't a pharmacist, but I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. And then going into pharmacy, I realized, well, actually, this, this is a, a role that can really give me a lot. So when I left university, I went into community pharmacy, but I love community pharmacy in that I love meeting people. I think the challenge with community pharmacy is that it doesn't necessarily give you the protected time to really invest in people because it is a busy environment, especially if you're in like a, a large city pharmacy. And I think that's maybe something, you know, we need to think about how do we really carve out that time for pharmacists to be with patients and to invest the time like you've talked about with um your secondary care hat on you know you're you're really delving deep um and i think community pharmacy doesn't always give you that luxury to have those uh, really deep um discussions with with patients because there's so much going on so that kind of led me to think well what else is there and i um linked up with a, a couple of primary care pharmacists and we talked about projects and that enticed me into getting involved in prescribing advisor role, um, speaking to GPs and nurses. And that made me then think, oh, well, I'd actually like to be a prescriber. I'd like to run my own substance misuse clinic and I'd like to deliver a service, you know, to patients and, and really help with an area that I find extremely interesting. And I did my prescribing back in 2007 and going through that process of doing the prescribing, it made me realize, actually, I quite like education. I like okay. being able to learn. Um, I've been known by many of my colleagues and my friends as gathering qualifications, <laughs> which I'm not saying is a good way to do things because I think a focus can help. But actually, you know, doing my um, diploma and doing the prescribing and getting involved in bits of research has really made me realize that I, I really like education. I love ac the world of academia. I think, you know, it provides an environment where you really can start to make impacts. Now, my kind of area that I enjoy is more policy. So um, I've recently done a project with Health Education England looking at uh, IP provision. Um, I'll be presenting that to um, a couple of colleagues up at uh, HEE at the end of the week. So hopefully, you know, helping to to make some impacts on training. Um, so I think for me, I kind of fell into pharmacy and it's just kind of continued to deliver and continue to excite and um, provide me with interesting things to do. So I would say one of the highlights of my career was being in the Athletes Village at the London 2012 for the Olympics and the Paralympics. 
it just blew my mind. It was just such a phenomenal experience, meeting up with other pharmacists from across the world um, and delivering a pharmacy service right at the front of the polyclinic. You know, we became a real hub for the athletes and the athletes' family. Um, and that, that was a real highlight of my career. And I'm hoping with everything crossed that I'll go to the Commonwealth Games next year up in Birmingham. Amazing. So, yeah. So drugs and sport is something that I find very intriguing, very fascinating, and working with um, some colleagues over in America to try and really understand what's the role of the pharmacist in this. What can we do to really embed it, possibly in the curricula as well. So thinking about, you know, is there a role for undergraduates how do we inspire so you know that we don't say well you go to community you go to hospital you know the extended roles do continue to be extended you know we've made leaps and bounds since when I was at university you know with the various different roles so you know I think we can continue to expand them and really as long as we keep that unique set of skills that the pharmacist brings to the table then I think as pharmacists, the world is our oyster. We can have it all. I always <laughs> say that. And everything that you've said just resonates with me so well. This is just, yeah, this is so good. Um, and the reason why is because I kind of, I feel that I sort of fell into pharmacy. I was advised, you know, by my family that it was a great career. And I kind of stepped into it with with open arms, happy to kind of go for it. But I wasn't really sure what it is what it was that I wanted to do or where I was going to fit in, but I wanted to try everything, which I did. Um, I went, I did community pharmacy as a student every weekend, every holiday. My parents owned community pharmacies, but they're not pharmacists. Um, so I kind of understood the business element, you know, I was following in my family's footsteps from that perspective. Um, but then when I went for my pre-reg year, I said, let me try hospital, give it my best to get a placement, which I did. Um, in Papworth in Cambridge, um, and fell in love. I was like, this is, this is amazing. I love it. And the main thing that I loved, which I still love to this day is, um, education for families and empowering patients in terms of understanding their medications and giving them as much information that is useful for them to, you know, make the most of what we're providing. And now it's the same in pediatrics. It's empowering parents and empowering children, whether it's switching from a liquid to a tablet when they turn six or, you know, helping a parent to understand, you know, what does PRN mean and how often do we need to give it, you know, unlicensed medicines. I mean, there's just endless opportunities to educate. But when I started my role as a resident pharmacist, when I was newly qualified, I never really thought of myself in education even to the point where I thought education for me was mentoring pre-regers once I was qualified. It felt like, you know, when I was a second or a third year resident, it was making sure that I mentored the first year residents who were newly qualified and making sure they were settled and comfortable and reassured and educating them on process, on clinical knowledge, on on-call services, everything that we had to provide. But it was just part and parcel of what we had to do in the job. I never felt like I was doing anything in addition for education and training. And it wasn't until I moved to Dubai and I ended up working in emergency services and setting up 
ambulance services for the United Arab Emirates and then importing drugs from all over the world because when I joined that company, paramedics couldn't administer any drugs. They they weren't legally allowed. So working with the medical director to change law, I mean, that was an incredible achievement and something I'm super proud of and I talk about all the time and all my listeners are probably really bored of hearing it, but I keep saying it because it is inspirational. It is exciting. It is something outside the box. And in that job, we had paramedics coming from all over the world to come and work for this company. Um, You know, paramedics from Ireland, America, New Zealand, Australia, England, Wales, everywhere. South Africans, you know, it was just very international and everyone's got a really different pharmacy background. And for me, I just thought, well, what are we going to do? This is crazy. There's so many different professionals here, but how do we make sure they all have a good baseline understanding of what our formulary includes, you know, controlled drugs rules, the laws, the regulations. It's very different to what they might be used to at home. So then I started creating these e-learning platforms as part of their induction. So I worked with the education and training team within the organization. And because I was the only pharmacist, um, you know, I didn't really have anyone to rely on. No one even understood that much about pharmacy. Um, So it gave me an opportunity um, to start doing education and training. And I got really involved in all of the kind of induction uh, for staff from all over the world because we were growing at such a fast rate that every week we were having to induct new staff. And this kind of got me thinking, actually, I really enjoy this. I really like it. And when I moved back to the UK, um, I took on a role um, as educational, um, like professional director for pre-reg pharmacists. So I did this three days a week. And then I thought I haven't really done that much clinical work for some time because um, I was doing a lot more operational and kind of leadership work that I need to go back to Oxford where my comfort zone is, where I did my residency and, and locum again and kind of get used to the NHS again. So I did a bit of mix of both. And then my opportunity came up at Evelina where it was a mat leave cover, which included peds, which I had kind of started to look at in 2018. Um, I covered the neonatal ward quite a bit um, just for fun and because they needed someone to help out. And I said, look, train me up. I'm, I'm willing to do it. This is really cool. I, I want to get involved. Um, help me. Um, so it kind of got my interest going. And then when this opportunity came up, it was a, a split role between university and pediatrics. And it's just a dream come true. Like everything about both of these jobs is just amazing. The variety that I get in terms of the roles are just like phenomenal. I'm learning so much every single day. There's something that kind of new that pops up. And because I've been so involved with service improvement um, from my roles in Abu Dhabi, that building this role for palliative care, because there wasn't a palliative care pharmacist, has made it even more exciting because I'm starting something from scratch. I'm doing my IP now, so I'm hopefully going to set up some medicines optimization clinics for our palliative um, kids in the community. So they usually have a, a, a yearly kind of full review. So I'm hoping that um, those yearly reviews, the, the more simple ones to begin with, could be done by a pharmacist to, to help the nurses and the consultants free up time for more complex patients. And it's just really exciting that you're 
you've got involved with lots of different elements and you've got this enjoyment for sports. And I saw on LinkedIn that you also did some consultancy or you're still doing it, um, pharmacy consultancy work for the PGA European tour. Um, so when, you know, with my experience with formula one, I thought, wow, this is amazing. Someone else who's kind of interested in sports and getting involved with something that is quite unique that not many other pharmacists are doing. And it's really important to showcase that to our students because I want them to really see that it's not just the standard community hospital and industry. There is so much out there. I've done 52 episodes of my podcast and I still have not finished interviewing people from different kind of pharmacy practice areas. I mean, Every episode has been completely different. People are working in all sorts of fields, but I'm still missing. I'm missing RPS. I'm, you know, I don't have anyone working directly in the RPS offices or GPHC. I'm, I'm missing prison pharmacists. There's just so much else out there that I haven't yet explored. So it's really exciting. And for students and for young pharmacists, like you can have everything you know, you can have it all and do it all at the same time. And it may take time. It may take a few years of experience to get to the place where you feel comfortable enough to add in an extra role. Um, but when that time comes, it feels so good and it's just really worth it. I mean, now I'm doing a 360 and going to start back in community pharmacy whilst being a hospital pharmacist, while doing a podcast, while, you know, being in pediatrics and whilst lecturing you know, at university. And I'm doing that. I'm a parent. I'm a busy woman, but it's still manageable. And that's the most incredible part of this entire journey. And I, and I think that that is amazing. And that inspiration to um, think about how, how do you get people involved and what resonates with them and what, what makes them excited and what makes them passionate. I, I do feel that we do need to remember the burnout does happen. Of course. And so um, how you how you integrate those things into your life has to be right for you. And you've hopefully got that work-life balance. So from what you say, it sounds like, you know, you're still mum, you're still putting your kids to bed, you know, you still have that... Um, ability to to chunk it up and do the right thing for yourself and I do always want to make sure that that undergraduates realize that it's about maximizing your own potential it's not about being someone else it's not about having to have what that other person has you know mm -hmm. because we all come at it from very different skill sets very different abilities probably quite different tolerances as well around what you are able to invest time in definitely you know, whether that be through financial constraints or that might be through just your own personal time or or how you uh how your day-to-day -day job you know if you've got a day-to-day -day job that's extremely draining to add in additional rules so I think it's really important to have variety because I think variety is what's kept me feeling like I'm always at the start of my career um, because new things are happening. But I suppose equally um, having a focus can actually be a, a better direction for others, you know, saying, well, actually, I know I want to do prescribing. 
So I'm going to do these steps. So making it manageable, I think that's just what I want to to reiterate to people that, you know, maximize your own potential. Don't be thinking about how do you get Yeah, what other people are doing. <laughs> yeah. No, no, and I agree. And in terms of my thought processes with this, and there is a lot of planning that goes into allowing me to do all of this work and all these projects. And at the moment, I am seven months into the IP, but all my coursework is submitted, my exams are finished, my OSCEs are done, my case studies are finished, everything's submitted. Um, I have finished my hours in practice. So at the moment, all I'm basically doing is some reflective documents and um, we have to do some direct observation um, with the with your consultants to see like what your actual assessment skills are like and your prescribing skills. So there's little bits left, but they're mainly things that I can do during working hours. Um, so as the course is coming to an end, it'll finish in January um, I now have that little bit of extra time to then focus my efforts on the next project or the next exciting adventure I'm going on. And I'm not working in a community pharmacy a lot. I'm, I'm, I've told them I want to do one shift a month for now and just see how it goes. So I'm not overwhelming myself. Um, I'm ma- making time for my family on the weekends and I'm prioritizing what's important to me, which is home. Um, but at the same time, I'm having that little bit of input here and there in terms of learning. And it will be a longer journey in terms of educating myself in community pharmacy and getting myself up to speed with everything I need to know. Even all these enhanced services, it's not like magic where you can just suddenly, you know, start vaccinating people and doing MURs, you've got to do the education and training first. And so those things will take me some time. But again, it's forward planning and looking at my diary and actually seeing, okay, well, for the next month, you know, what things can I achieve? Which CPP, CPPE course could I do in this month? And, you know, next month, what could I achieve and trying to manage it that way? So in terms of my diary and my forward planning, there's a lot that goes into what I need to achieve and how I'm going to get there so that I don't overwhelm myself because burnout is seriously real. And there are a lot of people in this very moment experiencing it and they don't know how to come out of it. They find it really hard. It impacts their health and well-being. It's impacting their home life. It's impacting their mental health. And people get to the point where they actually just have to, to quit or take sickness off work for long term, you know, illness and kind of mental health issues and if you are getting to that point where you are overwhelmed you need to sit down and reflect as to what it is that you might need to cut out or who you might need to speak to to actually manage your workload a little bit better and we all have ups and downs in the hospital this summer it was completely manic because we had kind of a lot of turnover of the junior pharmacists so our new newly qualified pharmacists start so they need a lot of education and induction you need to give them time and support them on the wards because they're all new to pediatrics you've got the trainee pharmacists coming through so they're a new level of you know 
education and training and getting them up and running with their drug histories and, you know, lots of logs going on in the hospital to get you up and running on the wards. So in terms of the senior team, we're providing so much more support. So we didn't really feel like in those months that we were doing our own personal jobs as much as we would like. So again, this is all about forward planning. We know summer months are hard and everybody needs a break in the summer. Everyone wants a holiday. You've got lots of parents who need to take time off to look after children for school holidays. So from that perspective, I slowed down all the dish, the additional kind of directorate level work. So I wasn't churning out lots of guidelines. I wasn't able to do a lot of kind of formulary monograph updates. I wasn't able to put through lots of new drugs onto our, you know, drugs and therapeutics committee. Those were not the months to do that. The focus was to support the wards and ensure that everybody was up and running in terms of education and training to manage the day-to-day workload. And at the end of the day, the patients do come first and all of your other work may have to fall behind, but it's okay. And as long as you can accept that and your management are supportive, you don't get to that position where you get burnout, where you're trying to achieve it all at the same time. And this comes with experience, doesn't it? And still, like you're going to learn from mistakes Um, you're going to feel guilty that you haven't done enough sometimes. And this is kind of when I get to that point, I sort of meet up with one of my managers and say, look, I'm starting to feel really bad. I'm not achieving in my own job because all I'm doing is supporting other areas of our team. And sometimes it's a case of my manager will just be like, can you relax? Everything's (laughs) fine. You know, you're doing great job you know, you're still managing to do a lot of work, like let's list it out, let's physically like write it down so you can visualize what you've been doing. Um, And we tend to do our like PDRs or, you know, our professional development reviews in the summer months. So it's a great way and a great opportunity to see how the last year is looking. And I felt, oh my God, I've done so much. I'm really excited. Why am I feeling guilty? And then you can open your mindset and kind of think, okay, well, I, I can do other things for the next few months to support my team because at the end of the day, we're supposed to be here for each other. So it does take a lot of energy planning this all out. But in order to achieve your dreams and chase what you love, it's really important that you understand that this is a valuable part of getting there. I agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> it's true though. And it does take it does take experience. It does take mistakes. It does take collaborating with other people and asking them, well, okay, well, what do you do that works and hasn't worked? Or how would you deal with this situation? And this is one of the things I do love about hospital pharmacy. You know, I've got so many experienced colleagues around me and everyone's always willing to help. Everyone's always willing to support and chip in and, you know, be part of that team. Um, and it's something that I thoroughly enjoy and I never want to, you know, give up. Um, and I love my job as a lecturer, but it's completely different to being in direct patient care. It's a completely different style of reward. It's a completely different sense of excitement in comparison to my hospital job. But they always remind me that in education, nothing's ever really an emergency. So relax if you haven't figured that out today, like tomorrow, start fresh and try again. Um, and that took me a really long time to accept because 
when you do work in a patient facing environment is go, go, go all the time. You know, you're churning out your prescriptions, you're doing loads of dispensing, you're on the checking bench for hours and you just are constantly on the move and you don't have much time sometimes to think about anything else. But in your university job, you have the opportunity to slow down, to reach out to other people, to think things through, to use your, you know, the art of reflection, to trial things. I love, I love the opportunity of trialing something new. We were talking about OSCEs this year and what we're going to include on our new kind of going back to face to face. And should we, I can't even give things away, but should we switch up what we're going <laughs> to include in the OSCEs, um, you know, and, and trial something different um, and see how the students respond to it. Um, and then make the necessary changes going forward. Um, even something as simple as, um, you know, we expect our um, pharmacy students to eventually be accredited to be prescribers when they, when they qualify. And what do we need to do in terms of supporting them? Now, what small changes can we make to our curriculum to start getting them to think about prescribing practice, physical assessment. So, you know, should we get our second or third years to start doing, you know, blood pressure monitoring and actually in an OSCE, for example, having to do, um, check someone's blood pressure and, and be able to monitor that and, and, and write it down and understand what the technique is and how to deal with a consultation with a patient whose blood pressure is sky high, you know, um, and, that element of education is really exciting at the moment. There's so much, you know, exciting change on the horizon. And I've had a discussion with someone else about some of the negativity that comes with pharmacists or pharmacy students coming out of university as prescribers, and it scares people. It really does. It's it's a lot of fear. It's very different. Pharmacies being really bold with this change. But I feel at the same time we underestimate some of our students and they have such different skills to maybe even what I was kind of trained to do as a pharmacy student 10 years ago. Things have really changed. The curriculum has altered and the students coming out of the pharmacy with the right guidance, with the right training, with the right education, I think they will be fabulous prescribers. But it will take time to get us there. You're right. And of course, it's not the end point. Uh, registering as a prescriber on that first day of mm. um, qualifying as a pharmacist. That's not the end, part, end point. That is the start of the journey. You know, you they will be novice prescribers, which yeah. means, you know, the prescribing will be within a, um, a, a I suppose, within a, a framework of, of sorts. That means that, you know, they will be at the beginning of the journey and not like you know the independent prescriber that's maybe running a heart failure clinic yeah you know within a, a large trust so you know that's the thing all of these um changes will be incremental and we will be supporting everybody through those steps and in fact he just announced today about um the fact there'll be 15 point nine million that will be invested from the pharmacy integrated fund to support you know the education and training for the current pharmacy workforce both pharmacists and pharmacy technicians to upskill and to to ensure that there isn't this 
disparity between the existing workforce and those that are going to qualify post-2026 or 2027, whenever the first cohort actually um, registers. So I think I think it's just an exciting time. For Definitely pharmacy. is. It really is. But with that, do come threats, do come concerns, do come challenges. So I think, you know, we do need to balance it and, and recognize that, you know, some of our colleagues, both in secondary care and primary care or wherever they're actually working, will be under huge amounts of stress. And so that ability to see what those opportunities are may, may be decreased. So how do we support each of the the sectors to to make the most out of them so that we move as a whole profession and we don't become like segregated because I think the power of pharmacy is if we speak with one voice and we we rally together and support each other and really embed that education and training and mentorship throughout the whole of the career you know just because you're towards the end of your career as in you've picked an endpoint does not mean that you shouldn't be supported and mentored you know, so thinking again about that re- uh, reverse mentorship, you know, those towards the the end of the career will have such great insights for those at the beginning, but equally those at the beginning of their career can really maybe, I don't know, ignite a, 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 an interest or a passion or something, you know, as you move towards the end of your career. So, yeah, I think it's an exciting time for pharmacy. No, 100% is definitely an exciting time, and I look forward to being part of that. I'm really excited to be part of the university when the upcoming years are all going to be planning for this change, which is a huge change. And I think it's really important for us to, I mean, we discussed this right in the beginning, is look at our mindset. And be positive that actually, you know what, things are going to work out. You know, we we can, as a profession and as a team, work together to make this work for these pharmacy students. And we need to be positive for them because if we're all mumbling and grumbling and being negative, it doesn't reassure them. It scares them. It puts fear in them that actually when I become a prescriber, look at all this scary information that I'm finding on social media with the negativity that comes with it. Um. And we want them to come out of university feeling empowered and ready. And I think that positivity is something that we really need to focus on. And of course, like there's going to be challenges, but where have we not faced challenges? <laughs> it's it's a given that there's going to be some, you know, mountains to climb and we're going to, you know, fall down and we're going to make mistakes. And we're, we're but we're effectively, we'll come out of you know, I feel in a, in a great way. I mean, just imagining what our pharmacy workforce is going to look like with all these prescribers in practice, helping patients. I mean, to have community pharmacists setting up clinics and supporting patients frontline on your high street and what GPs are then going to be doing in terms of helping more complex patients. It's just, it's like a win-win situation for everyone. And I think that's the attitude we need to have. Yeah. So that's a yeah. good way to end this podcast episode because it's very positive. <laughs> but I, I do like, like to ask my um my three favorite questions at the end of each podcast. Um, if you don't mind answering. Of course. 
Excellent. So um, being a pharmacist means? Being a pharmacist means... It means to me being able to help, and it doesn't even have to be patients, but to help people maximise so for an educational point of view, maximise their own opportunities within education, maximise the benefits from their medicines when I'm in community pharmacy, or in sport, it's about maximising their performance so that their medicines are not in, you know, reducing their uh, performance or adversely affecting their performance from a, from an anti-doping point of view. So I think it's really about being a pharmacist is about communicating so that people can maximize because you need to engage people so that they can either optimize their medicines, optimize their learning. So that's what it, being a pharmacist is for me, communication, I think. Yeah, definitely. I love communication. It's my favorite, one of my favorite bits. Um, and if you had to go back in time when you first joined the register, what sort of advice would you give yourself? Grab absolutely every opportunity that comes your way and, you know, probably just realize that you're going to meet lots of amazing people. And how do you maintain that network? How do you make sure that you make the most out of that network? But also realize that things will go wrong and it's not the end of the world. I mean, clearly there are errors that can lead to significant harm, but the majority of the um, things that maybe don't go quite so right are not usually life-threatening. So it's about, you know, think about if something doesn't quite go right, and I suppose it's because I'm at the point where my students are going through the national recruitment process and we've got a bigger number of students who have been deemed unsuccessful in this particular round of Oriel. And therefore, I'm really conscious of the fact that we have some students who may be feeling very um, disappointed in their own performance. But it's not the end of the world, you know, sometimes things do happen that can lead to something that you never even expected. So mm. I've had students who got told that they were uh, unsuccessful at Oriel and would have to look for a placement outside of Oriel. And actually, it was devastating at the time for them. But when they went through their what was the pre-reg at that point, when they've gone through the pre-reg, they've actually come out the other end and gone, actually, I, th I think that was the right thing for me. I couldn't see it 12 months ago, but you know, 12 months on, I can actually see it. I fitted in better there. So I think I would tell myself that hindsight is a wonderful thing. So if something doesn't quite go so right, just give yourself a wee bit of time and you'll be able to look back and reflect and go, oh yeah, maybe that wasn't right, but I can I can see the benefits of it. I can see the positives of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been through that experience a few times, whether it's a job interview that didn't go so well, even with um, 
applying for my pre-reg place. I didn't get a hospital place first round. Um, and it was hugely disappointing because I felt like I was a really good candidate. I felt like I had all the skills and, you know, the results from university. I had had work experience. I felt like I had everything I needed, but I didn't perform well in the interview process. So I had to use that as a learning opportunity and to alter my mindset at that point that, look, don't think negatively about this situation. Use it as an opportunity to grow use it as an opportunity to learn and to become better. And it's very difficult because you've got all your peers around you. You know, you've got all your friends and you can't help but compare yourself to other people. We all do it. Everyone does, even at this age. And with 10 years of experience, I compare myself to other people, you know, that I work with and what they've achieved. You can't help it. It's quite natural to do that. Sometimes it's um, a good driving force to kind of motivate you or inspire you to do something. But at the end of the day, like you have to think of the bigger picture that it's not the end of the world. You know, there are going to be other opportunities and when they come, you make the most of them and you understand where your passions are and where you can excel. And for that student, probably they went into that environment and thought, you know what, this is a much better place for me than when I, where I originally wanted. And maybe I originally wanted that placement because all my friends applied for it, but this is where I need to be and this is where I'm going to grow. Um, and that's quite hard to see in the moment. So I do, I really value the art of reflection. I do it a lot. I'm a, I'm a big diary writer. And the more that I see visually, the more I kind of understand about myself. And it's taken many years for me to actually get to this point. And I feel like I'm at the start of my journey of understanding what my passions are. Even 10 years into pharmacy, I've experienced lots of different things, but I'm now starting to see where I fit in. Um, And for students, it will feel the same way. You know, like you said, take every opportunity that's thrown at you, make the most of that experience and learn from it. See what skills you learn from it, what you're good at, what you're passionate about, what you truly, truly enjoy, and then find the next opportunity that can build on that going forward, which is great. Yeah, I think that's good. The building on it. Yeah, definitely. Every experience will give you, you know, a little bit more skill set for the next opportunity. And that's how you have to see it. Um, and my last question, in 10 years time, I will be. Oh, in 10 years time, I'm going to have completed my prof doc. So I started a professional doctorate uh, last month. So I will be um, Dr. Claire May. Mm. That's the goal. Um, and I will have really embedded the role of drugs and sport within not just education but within the kind of um structures within all of the kind of various sporting organizations there will be a pharmacist and they will have a key role to ensuring that athletes are performing at their best and not falling foul of anti-doping regs Agreed. That's actually a really good topic for another podcast, just a separate topic, because that's something that I think a lot of people don't have awareness of in terms of what that role involves and, you know, what the day to day is like. Um, So if you fancy it, then let me know, because I think that would be really exciting. My plan is to try and put together a accessible list of sporting opportunities. Oh, amazing. 
So that's my my goal. Um, I'm working, as I say, with a couple of colleagues from America who um, I'm linked with on LinkedIn. So if anybody uh, wants to reach out to me through LinkedIn, uh, you can find me by searching my name, Claire May, um, and I can link you up. But yeah, our plan is that we will start to do some accessible resources for pharmacists who want to get involved in drugs and sport. That's a great idea. I love that. Um, And thank you for your time today. Thank you for your positive energy, the good feedback that you gave and kind of the insight into your life, your career and, you know, what you've been doing with your students. and, And, you know, I'm really happy that we had this conversation tonight. Thank you very much indeed. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Pharmacist Diaries UK and on Twitter at Farm Diaries UK. That is P-H-A-R-M Diaries UK. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you can be notified when a new episode is released. Finally, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave me a review as it will help the podcast reach more people. If you have any suggestions for guests you want me to talk to or if you'd like to come on yourself, please feel free to contact me via social media or email at info at pharmacistdiaries.com.